This is the Saddler's Post, conversations on horses, leather trade, and the art of saddlery, with our host, Christian Loeb. My guest today on the Saddler's Post is award-winning master saddler and bridal maker, Lucy Ellis. Based in Hertfordshire, England, Lucy has combined her passion for horses and her creativity into a business providing bespoke leather goods. Lucy, welcome to the Saddler's Post podcast. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you. Well, through phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ex- excellent. So, um, you know, how I've found you just doing through research, um, I mean, obviously, just fascinated with um, your social media presence. Is that something that uh, is an important part of your marketing of your leather work? Um, I mean, to be honest, it's probably the majority of my marketing at the minute. Um, I've I guess I've grown up in a generation where social media is a key form of communication. So it's just kind of an obvious way for me to put my products out there and what I'm doing out there and kind of connect with a bigger audience, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really well done. Pleased to, pleased to see that. And, the um, I know you give props to your, uh, your photographer, uh, once in a while, they do a really good job. So yeah, I'm lucky that I connect with that I've connected with a few photographers through social media actually who do my photos for me and never ever want to take credit for for their amazing work. Oh yeah, well, and that's the beauty of social media done correctly. The networking opportunities are fantastic, and you know they they're they're marketing their product at the same time, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. What I'm really interested in your story, I mean, you you say yourself, you're in a generation of brought up with, you know, computers, social media, and things like that, yet you get into a trade that is, you know, very hands-on. Uh, it's what I call a heritage trade. You know, this dates back to the beginning of time when, uh, you know, so, so what is it that... Um, you know, first, what light bulb first started the, how do I get into this? <laughs> it, it's, it's an odd one, to be honest, because my upbringing as well, that both my parents actually went to Cambridge University and are very sort of academic people. And I, I was never brought up <laughs> in, in a sort of, I don't know, to, to necessarily be interested in craft. Um, I think, obviously, I've, I've been horsey my whole life. My parents told me that when I was two, they had to take me somewhere to see horses because I just wouldn't shut up and I was driving them insane. Um, so I think anyone who's been into horses kind of has that appreciation of leather work and, you know, the proper proper leather, the leather smell, that kind of thing. Um but honestly, the craft, how I got into it, was all very much an accident, um, trying to avoid being sent down a route I didn't really want for my life. And I kind of stumbled across things and, and discovered saddlery as an option. And it just all seemed to line up and tick a lot of boxes for me. Wonderful. So... You managed to avoid the dreaded, you know, 
first year of university dropping out in the middle to chase your dreams like you knew ahead of that or yes well i i got i actually got um a scholarship to go to university so despite kind of i think subconsciously i knew i didn't want to go my exams went awfully which i'm sure now was like subconsciously me being trying to find a way out of it um and I actually got offered a scholarship, so, so, so I still was meant to be going. And I just deferred my year and sort of said, I'm going to take a year out um, because I knew I just couldn't couldn't go um, that year. And during the course of that year, I was determined to find an alternative so I could turn down that place and not go yet and not be that one of the so many people who go and just end up dropping out in their first year anyway. Yeah, I mean, this is part of, um, you know, kind of the premise of this podcast is I really want to share with the world, but also, you know, examine, like, why, you know, the sooner you find out what you're meant to be or meant to be doing, and sometimes you have to sit in that cubicle uh, interning at a law office or something to figure out, like, I can't be Mm -hmm. here, but... You know, that's tens of thousands of dollars or, or pounds spent and, you know, time doing something else. But uh, it's fantastic. So how do you, once you've, that in that gap year, you, did you think of going to a college? Like, uh, is it Cumbria or like, what, what did you, how did you first get that first needle threaded? So I'm trying to think. I I had a bit of a delayed start because I actually had a, a shoulder injury. So that was my whole kind of excuse for taking the year out. To be honest, to my parents to keep them <laughs> off my back. Um, so I actually started the the year with with, with shoulder surgery, and I didn't know if I was going to be. They didn't know what they were doing. They were just doing a surgery and an explorative surgery, and they said they don't know what we'll find, so they don't know how long you're going to be out of action kind of thing. Um, And it turned out it was kind of fairly routine. So I was not sort of, I was only in a sling for a couple of days and recovered fairly quickly. And at the time I was doing a lot of art. um, I was doing some drawings for a bit of cash and stuff. And I was kind of like very much aware that I was enjoying creating things more than the concept of going to university the following year. So I was just, I honestly was just searching like the internet, uh, skills, like sort of careers, events, everything, trying to find things that combined my interests. Um, and obviously I had the interest in horses, but I knew I wasn't, I didn't have the talent or the bravery to be a kind of pro rider or anything like that. And I didn't want to do the academic side of vets and things like that. So I guess then salary is what is what pops up um and so i then just sort of asked everyone anyone know a saddler anyone know because we i knew i knew saddle fitters um who came out to do our own horses but i didn't know anyone who sort of actually made stuff from scratch and actually did the real leather work so i just i asked around anyone know anyone who can i go and chat to annoy sit in a workshop and ask questions um and so i was lucky enough to 
meet a couple of saddlers who <laughs> gave up an afternoon or two to let me um, pester them. Um, and both of them basically said, what you need to do is you need to go, there's a, there's a college uh, in North London called Capel Manor College. Yes. Um, and they do a two-year saddlery course. Um, and they will, everyone said to me, that is where you need to go because that will set you up. That will give you a really good grounding. That will give you the, the basics. So I, that was when I then uh, applied to, to Capel Manor and turned down my place at uni instead. So, so parents weren't on my case too much because I had a, a college place instead. Um, but yeah, I was also lucky enough with, uh, one of the saddlers, I think both of the saddlers I met, gave me the chance to to make something, um, taught me the basics of stitching. Um, I, I think I made a belt, like a horrible belt with like a buckle that was sort of sitting spare and rusting um, and given some scraps of leather. And I just, I, I don't know, I just loved it. I I was just sit in the evenings, just stitching lines on a flat piece of leather I'd been given, yeah. um, and sort of attempting to to do, to sort of tie off the end, like you know, overlap some stitches on bits of tack I had that was running loose. I honestly, I used the entire roll of thread that I was given, just stitching random things. Um, but I guess that gave me a good starting point because <laughs> I had a few yeah. stitching skills when I started college. That's the advice I give to anyone starting out. I'm like, look, this is, you know, just practice that stitching. And if you think that's horrible, and you should probably rethink <laughs> what you're, <laughs> what you want to do, because um, it's, you know, that satisfaction of just creating the perfect stitch line, and it's, it's, it's something that you'll just keep honing that craft for your whole career, right? Yeah, I think stitching. I there's something about stitching I just I just love I find it like therapeutic I could just sit and do it for an afternoon and it's like the best part for me um but it is one of those things that the only way to get better is to just do hours of it you know people always ask don't they like how do I get it straighter how do I do it you just have to put the hours in like you just have to stitch and stitch and stitch (laughs) yeah it's true and um you know the advice I always give is don't 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 turn down work. Of course, you'll be offered work that you don't know how to do, but the the last word is yet. <laughs> and then until <laughs> someone gives you a chance, I mean, be honest and say, yeah, I'm not sure. You know, I I've been shown how to do it, but I haven't done it. <laughs> and then you know, get cracking on it because um, typically there's so few options for people um, that the, I find customers incredibly patient when they're waiting for something that they know like it's either that or or replace it you know type of thing Mm, yeah and there's a lot of things i'd say that i might not have done but you can you can figure it out especially if you've got the the item um to work from so it's quite fun almost when you've got something a bit more challenging So in North America, we, on the English side, I'm not aware of, of a, an equivalent to Capel Manor. What, 
you know, what was an average day like there? Like seriously, the first semester, was it literally straight on to the tools? Was there a lot of uh, theory like this is leather? This is where leather comes from. <laughs> this is how it's tanned. And, you know, and, and how far back traditional traditional do they go? Like this is how it would have been done pre you know, is it all handwork or do they get you familiar with sewing machines and things like that? Yeah, so um, the, I think the first week was probably mainly theory. Um, we did a, we did like a kind of basic general of, you know, what is leather, different types of tanning, different ty- like cuts of the hide and that sort of thing. Um, but I think probably like our third day or our fourth day, we basically had a trip into London to go tool shopping, um, which, is, which is really silly because most places in London don't sell saddlery-specific tools. Yeah. Um, so all we ended up buying was, you know, the, the things like, um, what did we get, like tape measures and sanding blocks <laughs> and, and all the kind of little accessory bits. Um, but luckily they give you, they, they gave, all well, at the time, obviously, they, they gave us like a sort of a basic toolkit, um, which was, I think it's like a head knife, a scrap jaw, a set square. Um, we got given an, uh, stitching all that we like made up and filed ourselves that we could keep because the rest of the toolbox you, you have to give back at the end of the first year um, but they kind of give you those basics until you've got time to buy on your own and work out what you like I suppose yeah um, and then yeah d- d- <laughs> in terms of traditional very traditional is, is the answer we did use sewing machines a little bit on making saddles when we're stitching sort of the panel um, and the, and flaps on and stuff. But most of it was by hand. And I remember um, when I was doing my final saddle exam, at this point I was at my apprenticeship, and I went into the factory to get some help from from the, the guys in, the, in our factory. And they all just laughed at the... I had the tree uh, with the webs, and I was straining the webs, and they all said... <laughs> that looks like something you know, something prehistoric because that is not how we make saddles anymore <laughs> it's true yeah <laughs> they all just laughed at me and they took it all apart and said this this is ridiculous you need to learn how we do it now because you know we were doing everything with a hammer and tacks and they used staple guns and you know everything and yeah. I, I just remember them them laughing but actually learning the traditional way like there's nothing wrong with it it still works it's not necessarily as quick or as practical sometimes um yeah. but it still gives you a good a good kind of uh of knowledge for it but yeah our days our days at capel you sort of i think we kind of would follow um well further in obviously at the start we did some very basic skills i think we were kind of given a a rectangle of leather and we would do just all the sort of processes, so edge it, stain it, polish it, crease it, and then stitch it. Um, and we would just do that over and over again at first to kind of get used to the skills. And then we would follow 
Um, so with the Society of Master Saddlers, they have the skills tests and we would follow on to make basically items for the skills test. So um, just take, I don't know, like a, I, think, I think one of the first things we did was like a foal slip um, and we would just, so our tutor would kind of be like, right, you know, this strap, here's how we're going to do this bit. And then that afternoon we'd all be butchering straps trying to, to replicate um and as as the as the time went on we'd kind of get um the the designs of things were more advanced so we started with very simple sort of snaffle hunter style bridles and then we'd learn to raise or we'd learn to shape things or um line things and kind of develop the skills along and was it just, you know, equestrian products? I mean, I see on your website that you're doing, like, boxes and, um, like, cases for a flask and that, that type of thing. So was that covered at, at Cable? Yeah, so with at Cable, we had, each year we had units to do in, a, like, a unit in, in bridle making, a unit in saddle making, and a unit in harness making for each year. Um, but we also actually did, uh, in first year unit in, in Lauren really. So in like bitting and, and stirrups and things. And then the second year we did a unit in business as well. Um, but we also were really lucky that the second year tutor at Capel is a really, really creative lady and loves all, all things leather work and all the more interesting stuff. And so when we'd luckily we were we'd finished ahead of schedule um and so she said i'm gonna you know gonna do some box work and we learned to do some i think we did some basic boxes sort of like a cylindrical box and a square box and then we did just some little accessories like i think they were kind of like hunting accessories so we did the sort of conical hunting flask case that attaches to the saddle um and then a like little sort of uh, sandwich box, I guess, that attaches to the saddle, um, which was really fun. But also, yeah, it gives you quite a good, like, basic grounding of of, of things like box work as well. Yeah, that's. Uh, so I know just a life spent in in saddles. People assume, oh, could you make this for me? <laughs> You're left going, no, I can't. Like I. You know, I I'm sure I can teach myself or, you know, whatever. But it, you know, it, there's probably so many tricks that someone shows you that might just be a a, a two second little pointer, but saves you, you know, scraps of leather <laughs> big time. Um, so yeah, I yeah. Learned, learned my lesson the hard way, thinking no, just start saying no. You can't do that. <laughs> like you know even if it's you, hard isn't it yeah. working out what what limitations you have because i i love like learning more and developing my skills but at the same time you've got to make money not spend two weeks on a job that should take an hour well and that's i always stuck to that you know charging customers what it's worth not how long it took me and uh, mm. I lost a lot of money in the beginning um, because it was very, um, you know, someone's not going to pay you for the 10 hours extra that it took to to do it when, you know, it's not it's not fair on them. But 
<laughs> at the same time, you think, mm. yeah, I'm negative how much into this job. Um, <laughs> so uh, college is coming to an end. Then now, is it mandatory that you had to find someone to apprentice with to become, you know, accepted as a master saddler and bridal maker? Um, or was that by the time you were done college had you acquired that no so college is only two years um and it basically if you manage to pass all the exams at college you basically will have level two in bridal making level two in saddle making level two in harness making um and to be a master you need to have level threes in at least two of them. I think that's to be qualified as a saddler as well. Okay. And just but also you've got to have done um eight years in the trade before you can even apply. Minimum over eight years in the trade. Okay. So you've left college then. <laughs> did you go directly out onto your own or did you did you work with with someone more experienced? So I was really lucky um, that my boss, I, I went and did an apprenticeship, but my boss found me. Uh, so I went and worked for a master saddler who, who mainly did saddle fitting. Um, and he had an apprentice who was reaching the end of his qualifications and was looking for a new one. And um, so he went to the national saddlery competition um, and it, I was there competing in my um, second year, my last year of college. And he went up to my course tutor and said, I want an apprentice. Um, but I'd rather have someone from from college because they've got that two-year grounding. We've got the level two qualifications much easier for them to not have to teach us all the basics. Um, and so sort of through that, I then got an apprenticeship um, with him um which was then a further three years of studying um and at the end of my apprenticeship i then came out as a i then qualify as a qualified saddler and bridal maker i think it is um so during my time in the apprenticeship um to get the level three qualifications you still have to go to college you go to a different college which is um the saddlery training center Okay. Um, which is in Salisbury in England. So there's all sorts of different apprenticeship schemes and things, but basically the one I was on, I would go down to the salary training centre for a week, every eight weeks. Um, and that's where I would do all my kind of exam work and because you have to have pre-made items for the exams as well as doing the exams themselves. Um so for it's just under two years, I think it might be two, two years. You go down there, and I—that's where I then did my level threes in all the um, in saddle, bridle, and harness while also doing my apprenticeship. Great. So, um, just because I'm, I'm sure lots of North Americans may not. I mean, again, part of this podcast the kind of premise was to do some education so when you say qualified that mm -hmm. means um through the society of master saddlers yes yes so 
all of my sort of training and qualifications is, is through the Society of Masters Adlers. So it's their qualifications. Okay. Um, and they basically have sk- what they call skills tests in level one, one to three okay. in separately in saddle, bridle and harness. Um, so once you have two level threes, you can become a qualified saddler or harness maker or bridle maker. Um, and, and you with, qualified with the society. under two the bridle making and saddle making pardon and you qualified under two like headings the bridle making and i i actually qualified in all three um i've actually done did my level three harness as well just because i finished early um and so i thought why not get an extra qualification under my belt so i did the level three harness making as well excellent so and you know, for people that want to find out more about this, obviously the Society of Master Saddlers has um, their own website and Capel Manor College has a website. Um, yeah. And would you say that course was full every time you, like when you took it? Like um, the demand it, was I high? I believe it's oversubscribed most years. Yeah, fantastic. So I actually ended up on a waiting list um, and only found out a kind of month before it started that I'd got place. <laughs> And what was plan B um, if you didn't get in another year off? Oh, <laughs> there wasn't a plan B, to be honest. <laughs> That's um, the best way. Yeah. So I was just crossing my fingers. Fantastic. So in in apprenticeship, and again, what I like to promote is um, apprenticeship and mentorship. So do you feel that college did just that it was a great time to learn the basics and make some friends in the uh, future with future saddlers but the apprenticeship is where kind of the real life learning happens because i think you're throwing real horses and real clients into the mix yeah yeah definitely i say college you're you're learning the skills um and you're learning the sort of craft but yeah the apprenticeship is where you see the business side of it you see the like say interacting with customers the horses practicalities because because college it's all it's all bespoke stuff it's all as much time as you need it's all ideal scenarios but actually when I I did my apprenticeship a lot of it is people have budgets or it's repairs or sometimes because we did saddle fitting we're out on the road a lot sometimes it's what you can do that day in the back of a van rather than the the ideal scenario um so it's it's kind of being thrown into the real world i think absolutely and because of all of your background you know i i came into it through saddle fitting eyes like I wanted to become a saddle fitter and then I was working as a saddle fitter and realized you know the basic saddlery skills required I didn't feel was enough now you you come come into it and go no I can choose what path so are you, how are you deciding to spend your time today like are you hunting down saddle fitting clients are you looking for you know strictly bespoke work that challenges you and is creative or like what what is speaking to you 
Um, during my apprenticeship, I learned that saddle fitting was not for me. Um, for, for a number of reasons. I am happiest tucked away in my workshop on my own crafting. Um, so I, I worked out that I like the, the making side best. Um, and I like the fact that I get a bit of variety. I like that I get the odd repair job. Um, I do quite a lot of fairly standard products with like belts and dog leads and stuff. But then I love like the the really random bespoke items that people come up with. I think that's just it's so much more fun. It's so much more interesting. I my favourite kind of thing is when someone <laughs> sort of sends me a drawing and it's like, can you make this? Um, and then trying to work out how and I don't know. I just it's it's more interesting. It's fun challenging yourself and the creativity, but also it's it's really satisfying being able to take someone's idea and actually make it into something and ideally something that's going to really last them a lifetime and, and mean a lot to them i just really enjoy that um yeah yeah that's fascinating to me i certainly um can see both sides of it i i know a lot of saddlers who are like look this is how we so many things get decided by revenue right that's you know I I always had it down to I get paid this much to flock a saddle I can flock this many in a day um, if I take on a job that I'm slower at or that almost ultimately will result in like like bridal making I was absolutely useless at and there was always a redo a do over oh you know something ended up you know a quarter of an inch too long in a cheek piece and they're like no I really wanted that further down you're like great let's start all over again <laughs> so I think it's fascinating that you're actually running towards the hey it doesn't even exist anywhere but in your head let's have some fun with this <laughs> I'm just like fantastic that's great I think I mean I'm I'm very much a perfectionist so the kind of bridal making thing I love that kind of thing of oh it's it's half an inch too long okay i can work even harder and get it more perfect like i love that that side of it um and i think mentally i like members of the public are lovely to deal with a lot of the time but saddle fitting i found that you get just the odd customer that i don't know it just it it really isn't is mentally too straining i found like yes the 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 job flocking the saddles and stuff is easier and it's much easier money but for me it's mentally too much of a strain um dealing with some of the some of the customers you get well i agree and this is a, a different topic i no longer do it um i'm at the bench every day doing many many other things and my job has removed me from the end user a little bit so mm. it is so much more less mentally straining for sure but um also from the time when i started to now yeah we have a more educated public but not always with the right information so the saddle Mm -hmm. fitting seems to get blended in with saddle selling and marketing and um 
a lot of, of experts out there creating a lot of background noise when you're trying to do your job. So it's, uh, it is mentally uh, exhausting sometimes. So, yeah, and I think I got into this because it's something I'm, I'm passionate about and I enjoy. So I kind of am very much, I want to do the bits I enjoy as much as possible yeah. because otherwise I kind of see what's the point, uh, you know, if you're doing something for passion, yeah. what's the point in doing it in a, in a way that stresses you out too much. Yeah, but it's interesting that it's a trap um, people fall into a little bit, especially creative types that think, okay, well, I'll do that to get some money in and then you you're you don't realize you're slowly chipping away taking something you were passionate about and turning it into a job like a Mm -hmm. you know and it's it and you forget that it's perfectly okay to monetize something you're passionate about but it's the you know doing it just for money is is you know i i don't care what kind of artist you are that's when you start to make you know, decisions purely based on money and not what your heart is telling you, right? Mm, I think that is one of the biggest challenges, really, isn't it? Because as much as we'd like to not even consider money, at the end of the day, you you still need money. But, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a fact, for sure. But it's, um, you know, sometimes... um, maybe even doing any other kind of work to supplement your income is better <laughs> and keeping well, yeah. this as your you know okay evenings and weekends in my shed i'm going to be doing and creating you know what i want you know or something but uh i think you know you said something important again about one of the benefits of apprenticeship is you figured out um something you didn't want you know that you mm-hmm. you know you weren't going to um, you know, hang your shingle out as, you know, saddle fitter and then, you know, be running around all over the countryside and then have built up that side of your business to realize, oh, I don't want this. <laughs> you know, if you can decide yeah. before you do it too publicly, I was always guilty of that a little bit where you're, you know, um, working through a business plan in real time in front of customers <laughs> and then when you're like yeah. oh this isn't working then they uh you know they're always like oh, i don't understand <laughs> you know like you know even you know what's worse is if you have a reputation for being okay or good at it and realize you don't want to do it and then it's a lot of pressure um yeah to keep doing it i've had a few of that with with smaller jobs where I've sort of just started doing something and it's got really popular and I'm like, actually, this is terrible. Um, and I'm getting a reputation for being the person in the area for this and I don't want to be. <laughs> You've got to try and <laughs> reverse back out without... Yeah, for sure. And um, from the marketing side, I mean, I guess that's where social media... Because let's say if, I, if I'm looking for, you know, the most obscure thing i can think of i'm not even going to start throwing things out but if if i'm thanks to you know good old uh, search engine analytics if i'm putting in you know leather wrapped uh chandelier <laughs> you know at some point you know someone who does bespoke leather work's name is going to come up um 
and I think of the you know the more you keep say presenting on Instagram things that are you know unique you don't have to post every belt you ever made you can just post the unique things right um like I saw on your website you know uh, a, le- a leather um wig box for a barrister yeah you know that's something that you know I'm sure you can go somewhere in London and maybe buy one of those things but it wouldn't be the same like I'm you know it's it's one of those rare unique things where it's like this is a handcrafted gift for somebody or Mm -hmm. that they're putting something that you know they've worked very hard to earn and they want it in this box right so it's it's um it's pretty cool that you can promote those kind of things and say yeah of course I make belts but you know let's talk about my box yeah (laughs) you know my my leather crafted wig box yeah I think there's a lot um a lot of people especially I feel like there's a bit of a change happening at the moment but there's a lot of people that appreciate that I'm a person not a big business and I think that's the benefit of social media is like I don't try and be some big fancy business I I try and be quite real and like this is me and me working and I think people quite like that because then especially with these sort of bespoke items they message say like I've had an idea and they know they're talking to a person not not a robot or not you know I don't know someone who works for a big company who's actually never been anywhere near the workshop and we can have a real chat what is it that you're looking for you know and and then I don't know it's more personal isn't it and and designing it together and I think that's one of the perks of social media is is I know that and I it's just it's actually really nice from my side is a lot of my customers I've kind of connected with before maybe they ever even buy something from me but you know we're actually just two people having conversation rather than the big business you know it's a brand it's 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 people yeah I've, I've, it's funny i found customers in the past that are used to shopping in that manner tend to almost need to be told hey slow down this is you, you're not in harrods or you're not <laughs> you know like i'm not just gonna pop into the back and check the storeroom like this has to be created and you know leather has to be sourced and uh, i have to decide whether the techniques required to create this are going to be good for my brand i mean maybe it's easier yeah. for me to just say i don't feel like taking on that work because you know it's it's you know it it, it won't be something i'm proud of at the end you know it's not just about yeah i want something and i have the money right yeah and i it's tricky because obviously i'm still like still fairly new to everything and my business is still quite new so there is that that balance of taking on work because you need the money but there's definitely just some customers who (laughs) just just make make it worthwhile who are really understanding of the fact that I am a one-person band who has, you know, it's just me and I've got to source things and make things completely from scratch. And those people do appreciate it. 
and 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 enjoy it. Um, whereas, like you say, the people who who are kind of like, yeah, I'll take three in those colours, and can you go and get them? And I need them right now. <laughs> Might as well go to Harrods or somewhere and get yeah. it, rather than because they're not fully necessarily understanding <laughs> the difference. It's true, yeah, and I think just that's part of the fun of business a little bit when you start to relax into it and. Um, you know, I always say to people, I'm, I'm the, the quicker someone shows their true self to me as a client, you know, if you're going to be, you know, a, a client that should be somewhere else, you're going to be happier dealing with somewhere else. The quicker you tell me that or show me that, the quicker I can point you in the direction that you are going to get satisfaction and we can both move on without having this, you know, frustrating feeling going on right yeah that's been a big challenge for me because i am a, a, just a people pleaser and so try and try and please everyone and and i know deep down they're not not my client but i'll still try yeah. and it's something i'm i'm it's steep learning curve but i'm i'm working on it yeah of, like you say it, it's not really worth your time to they're not your client and you need to sort of like say to steer them where they want to go yeah. um, and focus on the customers who do who do appreciate you but I think another you know kind of point of why I wanted to start this podcast was that you know I have a lot of these conversations with other saddlers and fitters and it's usually a one-on-one -on -one, you know they're driving back from a a fitting appointment or something and they've got you know in north america it's nothing to be driving like four hours between appointments sometimes or oh and you're going to be ringing people and going i can't believe what just happened and you know it's we all have those and i always tell everyone just call call me invent you'll feel better <laughs> and you know often just talking about it will the, the the obvious solution will start to bubble to the surface a little bit but it's also years i think of experience in business to get to that stage where you're comfortable deciding no no you're you're not for me i'm not for you um i know this <laughs> you know and it sounds arrogant <laughs> but it's like no no i've done this rodeo so many times i know and you're, you know, the quicker we get to the the punchline of this joke, the the better off we'll all be. Um, you know, yeah, one, definitely. Uh, one one store retail tax store that I worked at, the uh, the owner was the master at that. He would kindly encourage people to shop elsewhere, and it was hilarious to watch it unfold and you would always ask him later like wow like I'm, I'm really surprised you know they had cash in hand and he's like no money's worth that you know and it's it's just until you watch someone do it you, you don't feel like you know I think every it used to be business you know books I don't know how much reading you do just on running a business or whatever but it's you know firing clients there's only been a shift in that in the last little while like maybe 10 10 years plus where you're encouraged to do that um for for everyone's benefit the client included right yeah i mean i um i had a saying the other day which was 
um, every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And I think it's you again. It's the chasing money and the people pleasing of you know you want to try and help anyone or take on any customer, but actually it's it's like you say it's the experience and stuff. But to know when to say no to people because if they're not the client for you, you're wasting your time and and you know filling up space that could be with a different client or something better. Yeah, you've really got to be selective but it's it's not really a thing like you say in culture like in business that i've experienced most of the time it's it's um anyone is a customer do anything you can to sell to them not actually take some time and be is this a match rather than yeah just just sell them convince them they want it even though they don't really want it Yeah, I think you could just put that on a T-shirt, though. Every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. I think that just crystallizes it right there. And and I guess you have to decide in the morning when you wake up, you know, am I moving closer to my goals today or, you know, further away? And every time I say yes to something that isn't on point, you're probably moving further away from your goals. You know Exactly. If it's just financial goals, then you could be doing anything. It doesn't matter, right? I mean, you yeah. could you could just decide, you know what? I have got belt making down to a science. I automate the edging and I bring in a press to punch out holes and I, you know, I can just bash them out. And it's still handmade and it's still from the finest English bridal leather. You can still say all that. <laughs> right like that you know the average client isn't like no 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 that's you know that's done with a single crease not you know <laughs> some press or whatever and then a lot of times they're like yeah i don't care <laughs> you know? yeah. all i know is you know it's uh, you know whatever but it it is if it's if your goal is yeah just hey i i want more business i want a 10 percent increase next month i want you know, to bring on a big retailer to stock my product, whatever, then then that's fine. That's how you should be doing and looking for efficiencies in every single area. But if it's mm. to scratch a creative itch, that's um, something completely different. And it sounds to me you're more on that path. Yeah, I think like one of the things actually I, I do with social media is I try to educate the public a little bit on on those things like you were saying with the craft because you know we we as as trained leather workers you know we know what we're looking for but lots of people don't even understand the difference in edging something or creasing something or and some people don't care which is fine (laughs) you know they they don't need to but understanding like the reasons we're doing all these processes and what difference it is making they're subtle but it, that's what to me that's why it's handcrafted that's why you're doing all these things is is for those little details that in my opinion are making something a much better quality item than something you might have been mass produced yeah and I, I appreciate that also um you do that through a blog as well am i correct yes <laughs> yeah excellent yeah i mean i this is part of the you know the point of having these conversations and putting them out is 
it's not just, oh, I'm going to interview a bunch of people who agree with me on everything. I just, I'm like, <laughs> no, I want someone to be driving along going, yeah, okay, my daughter's not crazy for not wanting to go to university. She actually wants to do this. And, you know, here's a real life example. And, but also, you know, keeping a trade alive and someone actually taking the time to learn, um, you know, the, the old, the old ways or, you know, I'm not into, you know, straining a seat the old fashioned way and tax and <laughs> all that stuff either. And I've never done anything like that, but I, you know, for sure, you know, you know, when I'm talking to clients about, oh, something happened to the saddle, whatever, and I can at least be knowledgeable on, well, that's how things used to be made. You know, that's, you know, the history of it and where we've mm -hmm. evolved to. And, you know, a lot of people come along into the industry. I see all the time with my favorite is, uh, you know, the made a pot full of money as a engineer in big business and but they've always had horses and now it's time for them to you know retire at 50 with you know too much money and too much time and they decide I'm going to reinvent the saddle <laughs> and mm -hmm. uh, you see this all the time and they spend money on injection molding and 3d printing and all of this and you know whenever I get a chance to talk to them I'm like didn't you stop once and just think maybe I should have just asked why it is the way it is you know or just that my personal experience with an ill-fitting saddle isn't the the general it's not like that for everybody we didn't have to reinvent the wheel we probably just needed to find you know better traditional ways um rather than than spending all that time money and using all this technology i'm not anti-technology it's just funny to me that you know, when you don't understand the history of it, um, I think they say this with politics as well. If you don't understand the history, you, you're bound to repeat it, right? Like the, the negative yeah. the negative side of it. So yeah. what's, what's next? Like, how are you, you know, do you sit down uh, New Year's resolution? Do you, um, you know, look at, okay, this year, you know, you know, these are, these are my goals. And I don't mean financially. I mean, um, I want to get a commission to make, you know, X, Y, or Z. I mean, here's a, a good platform to say, yeah, this is where I'm heading. This is, you know, uh, or an avenue of the leather trade that you want to get into. What, what's next? Um, well, one of the projects that I have been wanting to start <laughs> but have been not setting enough time aside and I, that's one of my plans for this year is to work a bit on some a kind of a kind of recycling project um, so I don't know if you have as much of this over over with you but we, a lot of people We've got a lot of saddles that, you know, were beautifully made, but actually are a little bit too prehistoric and don't actually suit 
horses that are the shape horses are these days. Um, but, you know, we're really nicely made, so the leather's still good, and, and, and people are sort of recycling them. Um, the main thing is, is, is turning them into bags and things. And I, over a, a project I was doing, I was doing a talk um, at, at Pony Club Camp to some kids. I collected a, a couple of semi-derelict saddles, like, including like broken trees and stuff. And I just, I just sort of have had them sitting in my workshop, thinking, you know, I want to make them into something because <laughs> the leather's fine on them. But like, whether it's because it's a broken tree and it's not cost-effective to replace it, or whether the 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 style of it actually just doesn't fit a horse anymore, or actually no one wants to ride in because it's not it's very old school flaps and things. But I want to, yeah. My plan for this year is to is to experiment with some some recycling of of old tack. I'm I'm very big on the environment and sustainability and things like that, and I I hate that things are thrown away. Um but especially with, with tack if it's stuff that just either either something's broken and it's not cost effective to replace or it's just the styles have have gone out of fashion or whatever. It it I think it's 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 fun, but it's also good for the planet if we can find some new things to do with them. Yeah. Um, I but I, I'm yet to be struck by my total inspiration. I've got a couple of ideas, but yeah. I need—I just need some time to play with them, really. Well, that's—I—I'm just thinking about you know the amount of stuff that goes um, in a high volume repair shop. That's basically what I am. So I specialize in a certain type of of saddle and you know it's just and work with very large manufacturers so you know when you know the amount of new panels or panels that get replaced or flaps that get replaced or you know there's you know parts just get swapped out so the old flaps come off new flaps go on Mm -hmm. but uh yeah there's um It'd be nice to have somewhere to send all those things that where they could be turned into, you know, um, something that would go on to last somebody else a lifetime. And, you know, things that are repurposed. I mean, leather looks amazing when, you know, it's had a good life being ridden in and then it goes on to be something like a bag or, or whatever. It, it They look amazing. Mm. Yeah. They actually... At the um, national saddlery competition this year, which was it was last month, they one of the classes was uh, it actually made out of sort of repurposed leather, and it's it's so interesting the sort of range of stuff people have come up with and the clever uses of things that you know you just don't necessarily think about, but it's it's just giving something new life, but it's also fun. Like it's fun to have something made out of an old stirrup leather or an old saddle but also it's just reducing landfill isn't it yep 100 percent. love that um the one thing i didn't touch on and, and before we go um i i was just amazed by the sheer volume of competitions you do is not like 
I'm stunned by that. I was just like, that is so amazing that that's an opportunity, say in Europe or England, where I, I, that you can constantly be challenging yourself. Um, but how, how do you see that? Is it just a, a challenge you set for yourself when you enter a piece into a competition or it's part of your marketing or, you know, just, you know, making sure your skills are still, um, you know, honed and, and, and moving forward? Yeah, I think, I think it, I do it very much for myself um, to ch- challenge myself firstly, yeah, because, you know, can I, can I make something to that standard? But also, yeah, to get that, it's almost like validation um, because these classes are judged by masters adlers with much, much more experience in the industry than me. And so, you know, if they say it's of, of a standard, then you know one you're on the right track. But also you can get some feedback because I think when you're in your workshop on your own all the time, you get habits and you can you can kind of go down paths. I don't know, like, I'll just get habits like... Um, my my crease the distance from the edge i'll kind of without realizing it will gradually get closer and closer to the edge and then <laughs> you know you then put it in front of one of these people and they say that's far too close to the edge oh well i hadn't noticed because it's one of those things that just changed a very small amount over time and it's only me seeing my work and none of my customers would know it's true yeah you know and so it's, i think it's it's really important for just keeping myself to the standard I want to be at and and checking in lovely yeah I like that a lot yeah all right so in closing the last question what what would you what would you go back and do differently oh see it's hard that because I'd like to say nothing because all the things I've I wouldn't I think were maybe bad decisions have taught me a lot. Um, I like to think I've learned from my mistakes and stuff. And I think I'm still learning from yeah. my mistakes. That's the right answer. But I feel that's like a, I need to make them. Yeah, that's a beautiful answer. It's kind of like, you know, whenever I'm feeling a bit sorry for myself and I'll say to my mom or something, you know, like, oh, if I had never have met this person or if I hadn't have done that, and then, the, you know, the most logical thing is, but then that wouldn't have happened, which turned out brilliantly for you. So, <laughs> you know, focus yeah. on the positives, not the negatives, right? You wouldn't know that you really don't want to take on a job if you haven't dealt with it previously and hated it. You know, you, know, you need to, I think you need to do a lot of, make a lot of mistakes and do a lot of things you don't enjoy to realize that's not the right path, I guess. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'm going to leave it there at that. I uh, really, really enjoyed this conversation. And I think, um, you know, people are going to really, you know, be interested in your journey and get a little bit inspired by it. You know, I think, um, especially from a North American point of view, it just is, is, is great to hear. Yeah, it was it was lovely to chat to you. Okay, yeah, I think we'll we'll end it at that. I never, I'm hopeless at ending the podcast because I could just talk <laughs> for three hours until you know I hear a wine bottle cork go somewhere. So. <laughs> like, <laughs>
problem when you get saddlers together, I think. They just spend too much time on their own and get them chatting yeah. and they don't stop. Well, this is um, kind of, as I say, I, I formed a super informal... Um, in, in in Canada, you can just print a business card saying you're a saddler or a saddle fitter. It's There's no governing body as much as the society thinks they have some pull over here no one is really going that route there's one or two that are society trained and but they're literally like a grain of sand on the beach of of you know so right. i kind of put together this little informal group of people to just say look we're we're all entered this for different reasons we're all on our own journey but we're all have the same thing in mind we want what's best for the client we want what's best for the horse and mm. stuff and it really just dawned on me like i should just record these conversations right <laughs> like <laughs> so it's a little hard to manufacture a casual conversation you go okay we're recording now but i think it's i think it's going really well and it's nice time i think and i'm not trying to you know have people market it's not a marketing thing. It's it's literally yeah. uh, these are the challenges I'm facing as in in the trade that I've chosen and you know and here's are some of the fun things and the positive things and you know I think it's it's you know it's good. I appreciate you sharing. Yeah, I think it's it's quite refreshing to just like a real chat not try yeah, not marketing and stuff. Yeah, well and we've all been interviewed or whatever by someone who's and I'm sure when you're sitting on a train and someone, I don't know, somebody says, what do you do? And you say, I'm a saddler. And they're like, no, no, I mean, what do you do for a real job? You know, like, it's like, it is a real job. It, you know, come on. And it's it, it happens a lot in North America, for sure. But um, it's it's that's why I wanted it to be saddlers having a chat. You know? This is what our lunchroom yeah. break would sound like. Right? Yeah, Hi, I'm Lucy Ellis from Lucy Ellis Leatherwork in Hertfordshire, England, and I enjoy listening to The Saddler's Post with Christian Lowe. This has been The Saddler's Post with Christian Lowe. Thank you for listening. The Saddler's Post is sponsored by Christian Lowe Leather Care. Visit christianlowe.ca.